Hey, we're so happy you found us online. The message you're about to hear was recorded live at Grace Family Church. We're a community following the call to love God, love people, and make a difference. We meet at four locations around Durban and at graceonline.tv. Go ahead and share this message, or you can download it and listen to it in your car or at home later today. Wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening from, thank you for connecting with us, and may you be encouraged by the message coming up next. The title for my message today is Blind Spots. Now, when we talk of blind spots, we might think, or you might think of a physical blind spot, like that area of the road not visible through the rearview mirrors or side mirrors while you're driving. And we always tell new drivers, you know, check your blind spots. These physiological blind spots are natural and they're part of our biology. Let me show you a simple test. Look at the image of the plus sign and the circle that's now on your screen. Look straight at the image with your, with your nose positioned somewhere between the plus and the circle. If you're watching on a TV screen, you might want to stand up and move a bit closer. Or if you're watching on your phone, you can hold it up and level with your eyes. Now, close or cover your left eye and focus on the plus sign with your right eye. Don't look deliberately at the circle. That's important. Now, you may need to move closer or further away from the image and do that slowly. Don't take your focus off the plus sign while you're doing it. At some point, the circle on the right should disappear from your peripheral vision. This is your blind spot. And the amazing thing is your brain is actually reading the surrounding white color and essentially making an assumption of what is there to fill up the empty space with the surrounding color, which is white. It's pretty amazing. Of course, blind spots are not just physical. You and I have spiritual and emotional and intellectual blind spots as well. Those areas in our lives or those character traits about ourselves that we simply cannot see. As Richard Raw says, he says, most people do not see things as they are because they see, see things as they are. <laughs> Let me just pause. If you just thought right now, well, you know, I don't have any blind spots. Well, then I hate to tell you, but you're probably more blind then you realize. Just ask your wife or your husband or your kids or your work colleagues if you have any blind spots. I guarantee you know, they know exactly what some of your blind spots are. All of us have them. Some of our blind spots are small and some of them are massive. I recently read the biography of Jan Smuts and I was blown away by the man's intelligence and his leadership skill. I mean, the Dean of Cambridge once said that the three most intelligent men ever to attend Cambridge were Charles Darwin, John Milton, and Jan Smuts. Albert Einstein said he was one of the few people on the planet who understood his theory of relativity. I mean, the man basically wrote the United Nations Constitution. He was the only person alive to be present at both peace treaties of World War I and World War II. He, he was an absolute genius. And yet, when it came to his own country, South Africa, Smuts could just not imagine a world where people of color had absolute equality. 
it was a massive blind spot. He, he just couldn't see it. And of course, it was hugely detrimental to the progress of human history. Even as I read the, the, the book, and I, I thought to myself, you know, if a man of that caliber and that education could have such a big blind spot, is it possible I might have a blind spot or two as well? The story or the miracle in the scriptures that we're looking at today is all about our failure to see. It's all about blind spots. And just like almost every story in the Bible, there is a story going on on the surface, which we'll read, and then there's a story happening beneath the surface. It's the message within the message. And like most stories, to see it, you have to look a little harder, see a little deeper. In the Bible, blindness and sight are almost always metaphors for the spiritual. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Throughout the scriptures, seeing and light and blindness are used to describe spiritual ideas and concepts. And so this story, the healing of a blind man, is far more, in fact, than just the healing of a blind man. And it has massive implications for how you and I see today. So let's get into it. John chapter 9, pretty much the whole chapter. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Now I want to stop there because this is interesting. The disciples are actually the first people we see in the story who have a blind spot. Because for them, everything was black or white. It's either his fault or his parents' fault. The, the fact that it might not be anyone's fault doesn't even enter their consciousness. So they ask Jesus, who is to blame? And, and this is a common question. Who's to blame? It's the question people ask, uh, always tend to ask after events like earthquakes or natural disasters, after cancer diagnoses and heart attacks, babies born blind and teenagers living with depression. We want to know whose fault is it? Because it must be someone's fault, right? or else none of us are safe. This is a natural human desire. We want to know who's to blame, and we love to pin the problem on someone or something. Jesus, he kind of cuts through that. He redirects his disciples. He says, guys, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame, but there is no such cause effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Jesus is deconstructing the disciples' worldview on sin and consequence and how the universe works. He's saying, you know what? The moral blame game as to why or who caused human suffering, it's really a waste of time. There's no such cause effect here, he says. Look instead for what God can do. Perhaps that is a word for you today. Perhaps you've been looking for something or someone to blame when, when God wants you to look instead for what he might be doing in the midst of that. My mother-in-law, Christine, she taught me this. She has this beautiful and profound way of looking at tough times and asking, what might God be trying to show us here? And this takes faith. It takes maturity. It takes a new way of seeing. To look up from our own pain and our own hurt and our own circumstances and see in that very thing, the, the, the thing that may have even blinded us, to see God at work. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus said. This happened so the power of God 
could be seen in him. Is it possible that God is trying to open your eyes today? Is it possible he wants to use your problem, your pain, your past to reveal his power, to help you see clearer than ever before, and maybe even for others to see God in you? The story goes on, verse 6, Then he spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the man's eyes. I've often wondered, you know, why did Jesus use mud here? Why didn't he just heal the guy? Why make, why spit in mud and rub it? I mean, was there something magical in Jesus' spit? We're going to come back to that detail because I think it's important. But he tells him, he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others says, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. It's me. Now, I find this fascinating because he can see, but it seems like the people he grew up with don't even recognize him. And, and I presume that his outward appearance didn't change when he, could, when he wasn't blind anymore. But, so why couldn't they recognize him? Well, again, it's because they also, like the disciples, had blind spots. Because this man was no longer in his proper place as the blind beggar in the box that they had put him in, they failed to recognize him. It's almost as if as his vision grew stronger, their vision grew weaker. I wonder if, if I would be the same. If the beggar I drive past almost every day had to arrive at, at my office in a suit and tie, clean shaven, would I recognize him? I hope I would. Or perhaps you've been on the receiving end of this kind of blindness where people have categorized you and labeled you because of your past or what school you went to or what you used to be like. And they're stuck with an image of you that no longer exists because God has done something in your life. I think as followers of Christ, we need to be careful not to box people into what we think we know about them or how we knew them back then because maybe they've changed. Maybe God has done a miracle in their lives. Maybe we're the blind ones now. Anyway, after that, they take the man to the religious leaders of the day. And these Pharisees, they start to question him. And this is where the story gets interesting. They ask him, you know, what's your opinion about the man who healed you? And he replies, he says, I think he must be a prophet. But they refuse. They refuse to believe that the man has been blind and can now see. And so they call his parents and they ask him, they ask the parents, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? And the parents reply. We know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. The text says his parents said that this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough. Ask him. This is interesting because now we start to see the real motive of the Pharisees, their, their political agenda. They didn't really care about the blind man or his healing. They really only cared about Jesus's, the threat that Jesus posed to their authority and to their position and their influence. And let me just say this. There are always political agendas and religious institutions that have a vested interest in keeping people blind, keeping people stuck in old ways of thinking or in prejudiced ideas. And so often they're more concerned about control or correct theology than actually healing people and seeing people set free. And they may even use fear and manipulation and sometimes virtue signaling to keep systems in place that keep the status quo. 
As Jonathan Martin puts it, he says, this is a story about how the gift of sight is a disruption to the powers that be, the scandal of grace-healed eyes to the powerful. To see from God's perspective is to have the divisions between us and them, the distinctions of class, color, and status be burned away. After they finish questioning his parents, they, they bring the man back a second time. And then they say to him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. We know. I mean, how many times have we said those words? I said those words. I know I'm right. I know it was them. I know it's not my fault. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Oh, how little we really know. And I love the man's response. I don't know whether he's a sinner, he says. But I know this, I was blind and now I can see. I don't care about your hidden agendas, your political posturing. All I know is this, once I was blind, now I can see. It's the gospel in its purest and most simplest form. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Oh Lord, that we would not lose our innocence when it comes to the gospel of grace. That we would not overcomplicate it and muddy the waters of this pure river of mercy, of grace. Maybe that's why Jesus used mud in a river as a symbol of coming out of this, this bondage and into the pure and clear flowing grace. The Pharisees, they say this, but what did he do? How did he heal you? They still don't get it. But now we, the reader, the listener, we start to get it. We start to see the real meaning behind the story. Now we start to see who is really blind in the story. It's not the blind man. It's those around him, the disciples. It's the Pharisees. It's the neighbors. Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? He's getting frustrated. Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know, we know, there's that dogmatic phrase again. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. And sadly, they don't because they can't see. They're blind and they miss the Messiah in their midst. And that, my friends, is the moral of the story. Summed up perfectly at the end of the chapter when Jesus himself says, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. In the New Living Translation, it says, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are indeed blind. Some of the Pharisees who are standing nearby, they hear Jesus say this and they say, are you saying we're blind? And Jesus gently responds, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Jesus' final words in the passage reveal the point of the whole story. The sin is not in being blind. All of us have blind spots, things we struggle with, things that God is still working out in me and you. We're all a work in progress. The real sin is not blindness. The real sin, the most dangerous and destructive sin of all is self-righteousness. I put it in my notes like this. Claiming we see clearly is the greatest form of blindness. And I think you know, I know this is instinctively true because everyone hates a know-it-all. 
They're the worst. And you've probably met that know-it-all Christian, the one who has a Bible verse and an answer for everything. The one who claims he's got it all together. And if only everyone else would just sort their stuff out, the world would be a better place. <laughs> the disciples had a blind spot. They thought the man was blind because of some kind of curse or sin. They were looking for someone to blame. And Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. Then there were the neighbors who, who failed to see the man because they'd pre-decided where the man fit in their world. And then, of course, there were the Pharisees, the men in the story who claimed to see God the clearest. And as it turns out, were the most blind. And then, of course, finally, there's the blind man, the man who knew nothing, the man with no formal education, the man with no name, the man who was a sinner, according to the Pharisees. And how bizarre or how divine that of all the characters in the story, it was this man who ultimately saw the clearest, who saw the kingdom. When Jesus heard what had happened, the text says he found the man and said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he? So I want to believe in him. Jesus says, You have seen him, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshipped Jesus. That's what happens when our eyes are opened. It leads to worship. It leads to wonder. It leads to a fuller and more expansive life. So now that we've unpacked the story, here's my question to you. Who are you in the story? Are you a disciple looking to someone or something to blame for your circumstances, stuck in binary thinking? Are you a neighbor ignoring or not seeing people right in front of you because you've already decided something about them? Are you the blind man rubbing mud in your eyes? And we're going to come back to that. Or is it possible that you or I maybe the Pharisees in this pantomime. <laughs> Whoever you are in the story, or perhaps a combination of above, I, I have a takeaway for each group, and I want to kind of leave you with these three big ideas that will help us to eliminate the blind spots in our lives. The first one is this. Look instead. Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause effect here. Look instead. For what God can do. I love that phrase. Look instead for what God can do. Learn to ask the question my mother-in-law taught me to ask. What might God be doing here? I find it so interesting because in most English translations of the text that have Jesus responding, you know, he was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. Astonishingly, I found out that phrase, he was born blind, is actually not there in the original Greek. Our translators chose to add that in, perhaps trying to help it all make sense because there's this constant question. You know, there has to be some divine reason why he's blind, of course. But the closer translation that was actually written by John is, is more like this, that neither this one sinned nor his parents sinned. In order that the works of God, God might be revealed in him, we must work while it is day. It's actually one sentence that runs on, no break. In other words, I think what John's trying to say is stop asking the why and start asking the now what. We have God's work to do, and God is already at work. Stop looking for someone or something to blame and start looking instead for what God is doing. In your marriage, look instead. What, what is God doing? In your parenting, look instead. In your business, look instead. In this country, compl stop complaining and moaning. Let's look instead at what God might be doing. It's such a powerful and empowering way to live. As a theologian, 
Morgan Freeman put it in the film Shawshank Redemption. Red, the character says, get busy living or get busy dying. The second thing we ought to do if we're to rid ourselves of blind spots is to rub in the mud. I told you I'd come back to this. And, and this, this is admittedly is a strange thing because it's strange because Jesus put mud in the man's eyes with no explanation as to why. It's strange the man didn't ask for it. At this point, the man hasn't even spoken in the story. He does not call out to Jesus for help. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He'd just been present almost as a bystander in the whole story, something he'd probably grown very used to since most people did not see him as someone with, with agency. And like many blind people in that day, he lived his life being mostly invisible to those around him, even though they were the ones who could technically see. But that's why the mud's so important, because given his reality, it could very well be that the most important act of healing Jesus did for him on that day, even more than restoring the man's actual sight, was when Jesus saw him and then empowered him to be an actor in his own life again to take back agency. That's why Jesus says, go, wash at the pool of Siloam, which means send, he sends him. And with hands guiding him to the water, the man immediately did what Jesus said. He obeyed, he went, he washed, and he saw. And everything changed. So rub in the mud. Take back agency, responsibility for your own life, for your own happiness, for your own health. Whatever has happened to you, whatever they said about you, only you can decide how you will respond to those things. Only you can decide where you will go from here. So rub in the mud. Do your own research. Get out of your bubble. Go to the river yourself. Don't just listen to what everyone else is saying or do what they're doing. You're better than that. Stand up and stand out. And then the third and final way we can rid ourselves of blind spots, and I believe open our eyes, to the realities of what God is doing in our lives and in this world, is that we would take out the log. This comes from Jesus' words in Matthew 7, but they apply here. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. The Pharisees failed to see because they claimed they could see already. Instead of allowing the blind man's transformation to also transform them by showing them what and whom they had not been seeing up to now, instead of being absolutely blown away by the fact that they now had this fresh invitation to learn how their God is a God who, who both sees and claims everyone, who, who doesn't rush by or ignore anyone, especially those others render invisible or voiceless. Instead of being awed by the way Jesus had restored the man, the man back to being the primary actor in his own life. Instead of letting his testimony help them to see God's grace even more clearly and to grow in their own faith more deeply. Instead of all those reactions of joy and surprise and awe that could have just opened their hearts a little more widely, they got mad about it. And they shut themselves off from the light. Remember Jesus' words, if the light you think you have is actually darkness how deep that darkness is. And that's the irony of the story, that Christ heals the blind, but he cannot heal those who cannot acknowledge their inability to see. That's why there's just simply no room for arrogance when we're living in revelation. So take out the log. Acknowledge your inability to see things clearly. Acknowledge your potential for blind spots, my potential, own them, and ask God to reveal them to you. If you're really brave, ask your partner or your friends, what are my blind spots? How can I do better? Where can I do better? I want to do better. 
Spirituality is, not about, is, is about seeing. Sin is about blindness. St. Gregory of Nicaea said this, Sin is always a refusal to grow. For it's only in acknowledging our brokenness that we may be made whole. It's only from our blindness that we may finally see. So what we're going to do as we close is uh, we're actually going to have Katie come and she's going to sing a song for us just to allow us some time to say, God, what is it that I don't see? Open my eyes. It's a well-known song. And before she does it, I just want to show you that test image again as a reminder, the one with the blind spot. But, but this time I've changed the image that you'll see on your screen right now. I've changed the plus to a cross. Can you see it? And there's that old hymn that maybe you've heard. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his mercy and grace. And I love that hymn. And in a sense, this is what happens when we fix our eyes on Jesus. Just like the blind spot test, when we close our left eye, focus on the cross, the circle, maybe the things of the world disappear. But there's a flaw in the illustration because the hymn says, turn your eyes, not your eye. And if you actually take that, open that left eye again, when you open both eyes while still focusing on the cross, the circle is actually still there. And I actually think that's better theology. I think that's, that's more biblical because fixing our eyes on Jesus was never meant to create a blind spot to our world, to the problems of our world. In fact, fixing our eyes on Jesus with both our eyes actually helps us to see the world more clearly. The Christian life is not about forgetting the world. It's about joining God's mission to heal it. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And that is my prayer for you, my longing for you, that you would experience the kingdom life, not just in eternity one day, but starting now, in your marriage, in your mind, in your money, that God would open your eyes and give you a clear vision for your life and help you to see yourself as he does and to see others through his eyes. That's my prayer, that he would show you that there is more to see than what you look for. More possibility, more love, more chances, more forgiveness, more grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see.